the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The revival at Asbury College is still going strong. And then, what are good boundaries for social media? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a week, Aubrey, that started warm, then it got snowy. I don't know what's going on. I heard next week it might hit the 60s, but then the snow is coming back in the long-term forecast. Uh, this is like schizophrenic time of Chicago weather. It's just all over the place. It's all over the place, and you know, it's it's crazy how weather causes us to talk about it so often, but this is also Chicago. Like, this is what I, you know, you have to remind yourself, like, oh yeah, this is what happens here in Chicago. So I think I like the reprieve. Not shocking. Yeah, I think I like the reprieve of warm weather in the midst of the cold, but sometimes it's like, just be cold. Just be yeah, cold. Just stay cold. Just get us to the summer or get us yeah. to spring. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're glad that you're joining us. If you've missed any of the shows this week, uh, we've missed you. Go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Uh, Aubrey, something that has uh, we've talked about almost every day on this show and is kind of dominating Christian social media right now is the revival that continues to yes. take place right. at Asbury College. And people are uh, reporting on it. They are live streaming it. People are trying to understand what's going on. As a just a quick reminder, last Wednesday, chapel service happened. It ended. People didn't go anywhere. They kept singing. They kept praying. And now we're on like what nine, ten days later. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, still you, there. I know you were kind of joking, but one of the questions you asked is like, "Who ends this? How does Who this ends thing this? end?" <laughs> absolutely. So many. Uh, I feel like all the quote Christian celebs are down there. They're interviewing people. They're like taking stock of what's happening. It is definitely kind of like the the Christian world is watching this for sure. And like you said, people are descending on their other other students are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually I found this very encouraging. Uh, who knows if it's true or who they're talking about? But somebody reported from there that a few, quote unquote, celebrity pastors had offered to come speak uh, <sighs> and they were told no. They oh, said, that's, that's, not awesome. what, that's not what we're doing here. We're just there's no speakers. That. People are giving testimonies. People are, uh, you know, just reading the word. They're praying together. Some like prophetic words are being told. I've correct, heard. Correct. Cool. And then just yeah. lots of singing without, you know, all the smoke and the lights and the this and the that. It's uh, it's just going on. Uh, I was having a conversation over lunch with someone the other day about what's going on at Asbury and. They asked this question that he said him and his wife were discussing. Why do these things always seem to take place on college campuses as opposed to your church? This I'm sure they've happened at churches. Sure. And we discussed that because as I thought about that, I was like, that's true. Uh, And his guess was this. Tell me what you think about this. 
his kind of theory was one of God's doings in these revivals is to kind of fuel and energize the next generation of the church and Christian leaders and missionaries and kind of do that. And that is kind of why you see them on college campuses. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly something. It's hard because you never want to put God in a box and you never want to say the thing that God did today or yesterday he's going to do again tomorrow. Like, I I do know that God is always doing new things, right? Right, right. And just as soon as we think we understand and kind of go, oh, here's why God changes it. So I always want to be careful to not go, oh, this is why. But... I do think there's something about the expectancy of a younger generation that is just like uh, ready and and wanting Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. experience God that God honors. And I I definitely I mean, you have to believe there's some truth in that, that God is readying the next generation with a new hope, new passion, new conviction. Um, and so it does make sense that that this kind of thing would take place in like a, a group of people that are burgeoning yeah. into their adulthood and about to enter into like the quote real world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk about a Facebook post I saw by somebody named I'm going to butcher his name. I'll then spell it. His name is Tim Boger. B-E-O-U-G-H-E-R. That's so funny. I was going to say Tim Bauer. <laughs> Bauer. That could be it. That could actually, you're probably knows. correct on that. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, and the ahead. reason, what makes him interesting is he wrote his thesis on the 1970 Asbury Revival oh, and no how way. it impacted a lot. He was also one of the two faculty members present for all the revival services at Wheaton College in 1995. Oh, wow. So he's taught courses on on revival and spiritual awakening at Wheaton, at Gordon Conwell, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So this is like his thing. And then on Monday, he spent the afternoon at Asbury in the auditorium, followed by a dinner uh, with uh, somebody else, another prof who was there. And so he basically said, here are my random thoughts about what. And when I heard, I'm like, okay, this guy's got the track record. Like, let's see what he's saying about this, right? Yeah. So, let me just read some of them and then you tell me what jumps out to you. He said, "One, the manifest presence of God has filled this auditorium." Mm-hmm. He said, "I experienced that same overwhelming sense of God's presence each day and night during the 1995 Wheaton revival." So, he's like, "Something's happening here, right?" Yeah. Number 2, and I actually Aubrey think this gets to our question of who ends this. He said, "The leadership there did a magnificent job of balancing freedom and order as one of four faculty staff at Wheaton who bore that responsibility for five days in 1995. I know the incredible challenges of trying to maintain that balance. So let's pray for the leadership. Uh, Number three, he says, how do we know if what we think might be a revival is a genuine work of God? This is fascinating. He says one unmistakable sign of revival is repentance. Mm-hmm. That when you see repentance going on, he says, revival doesn't begin with laughter. It begins with tears. It doesn't begin in ecstasy. It begins in agony. And he wow. says, several of the testimonies I saw at Asbury focused on repentance. Wow. Uh, he talks about, you know, dying to self. He said the worship leaders have done what worship leaders do. They're not performing. They're just bringing people to the throne room of God. And then he gives an exhortation to those who are journeying 
to there to see it. And he, Aubrey, he says something fascinating that should challenge all of us for all of this. He says, every time I go anywhere to church, to a revival or whatever, he says, I pray God don't make me a spectator. He said, wow. if you're coming down to be a spectator, that that's wrong. You shouldn't wow. be coming. And I was really challenged by that. Like, God, don't let me be a spectator. So yeah. what do you think? This is a guy who's written on it, experienced, is down there, all this stuff. What do you learn? What do you think about the things that he had to say here? Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me. And I, I, this is the part that like, I want to be a part of it. I think I told you, like, I want to go to Asbury. Um, the, the first one he mentioned, the manifest presence of God filled mm-hmm. Hughes auditorium. Like, uh, I, I think so many of us are longing to ex- experience the presence of God. I mean, these are things that like the Moravians wrote about in where they in Germany, where there was a, a revival there, like just this feeling of God's overwhelming presence. And mm-hmm. so I think that's like so many of us, I think as believers just long for that partly to partly for us to experience that transformation, that supernatural like touch from God and partly to increase our own faith. Mm. Um, but then I do think the most important, I don't want to call it the most important piece, but a very important piece is this call that repentance, true repentance will lead to repentance mm-hmm. and um, dying to self. Mm. And this idea that like what's happening there doesn't stay as just like a cool feeling. The spirit of God showed up, but moves into lives being changed. Right. And the byproduct of revival, like he said, is this, agony like before the lord were going oh god we have we have sinned against you you are holy and we are not and then that moves to a life committed to dying to self to me that says that gets that answers all the skeptics right like if you see lives transformed uh by humility shaped by the cross and and move to live a life that is uh not about like positional authority, but about a cruciform life. That's right. Uh, you can't argue with that. I'm sorry, nope. because that's that's not something we do in and of ourselves. That's, that's a right. movement of God, period. And something I think believers and non-believers look at and say, yes, the world needs more humility. So I'm going to support that. I'm going to get behind that. Yep. Uh, That's really well put. He closes this way. What every believer should be doing right now, regardless of what you think about the early reports out of Asbury, is praying. Who Mm. would deny that we need revival in our churches and spiritual awakening in our land? God has visited this nation with powerful awakenings before. We study those great movements of revival in church history classes. Is Asbury the spark of another awakening? I don't know, but I'm praying. And you Mm. should be too. What good words there as we continue to watch. Watch what's going on at Asbury College. Coming up next, Aubrey, we're going to share some of our boundaries around social media. What platforms do we have we cut out of our lives? Which ones do we still embrace? But what are the boundaries we use? Aubrey and I are going to share some of our thoughts on social media next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, let's talk about not just generic boundaries about social media. I want to talk about... 
things that you how do you and I handle social media? Right? Ah. Like which which ones which platforms are we committed to? Which ones are we like, you know what? Because it's interesting, you and I are different on this. The ones that we kind of lean into, the ones that we've set up boundaries, and then maybe even on the ones that we are a part of or more active on, what are the boundaries that you have or have heard from other people? All right. Ah. So which are your favorite? Okay, so I would say that my favorite is definitely uh, Instagram. And partly for me, it might be the people I follow. It might be the echo chambers I'm in. But partly for me, although, although I will give this little caveat... Uh, before I explain why, I've been getting so many ads on Instagram this week. Yes. It's starting to make me mad. But um, but generally, it feels the most friendly to me, the most encouraging. I don't follow a lot of people that are bitty, bitter, angry at the church, angry at other people. Like, there are certainly people calling for justice and giving prophetic words against certain things, but it... it I feel a little safer emotionally on Instagram than, for instance, Twitter, where I don't know how. Somehow I got in an echo chamber where just like everyone was ripping other people apart, right. and the church apart. And I started calling it bitter Twitter. And I ended up not leaving like I took my profile down, but I ended up walking away maybe six months or so ago, just kind of like, this is getting annoying to me. I'm going to take a pause. And then actually just this week, I posted something that says like, I'm barely here anymore. If you want to find me, I'm on Instagram. I also don't have a Twitter uh, voice. What I mean by that is people who are really good at Twitter speak in like, um, they speak in clips sound bites mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like they write in sound bites and they say these little pithy things that are often like lightning rod things and i just don't work that way and so i also felt like i wasn't adding much to twitter i wasn't getting from it i wasn't adding to it i decided to walk away gotcha gotcha uh, uh, that's instagram confuses me i don't i'm gonna sound old here uh, for some reason, I'm on Instagram mainly because I got on it when we let our kids on it. Now they're they're like, you know, multiple social media things past Instagram now, wherever right. they are. Right. But uh, Instagram confuses me because I always see the same people. Oh, like uh, it feeds you the same people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's now one of them's you. So you know that's that's a that's Yay. a joy Yay of my you. day. Lucky uh, you. So Instagram, I'm neither I'm neither hey, thumbs wait, up or on. thumbs down. Hold on, hold on. Uh, you never like or comment on my Instagram posts. So if one of the regular people is me, I feel betrayed right now. Betrayed and I, hurt and rejected. When when there is something worthy to be liked, I will like it. <laughs> I have a high bar on these wow. things. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so Instagram, I'm neutral on, I would okay. say. The one that I have... Uh, removed from my life. Not completely. I still go to it, but I took it off my phone and uh, completely deleted the app and all this is Facebook. Mm. And the reason for that, but I still stay pretty active on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot, but I will read stuff. I I will grant you, especially in the Christian world, it has turned a little bit bitter and a little bit snarky, but it's still somewhere where I find out baseball news or I find out, you know, what's going on in the world. What bothered me with, uh, with Facebook was while Twitter 
for me was primarily is primarily people I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's that Facebook. I was getting so frustrated and angry because of the dumb things that people I know are saying. Uh, you know the uh, difference? Like yes. Facebook, it was people in my life that I was worshiping with or living near or yes. I grew up with. And you're like, oh, I didn't want to know that about you, that you believe yeah. that or that yeah. you think that or that you like that. Um, and so for me, it got to the point where Facebook was becoming a... Uh, it was hurting my perception of people in ways that I didn't like. And you might be thinking, well, that's just an honest view of them. I don't need to know everything about everybody in my life, right? Like, I don't. So that's the difference for me. Now, with Twitter, I do think I need some better handles on Twitter, mostly because of frequency, but also I need to figure out ways to also kind of keep out some of the voice. Now, Elon Musk has really changed the way Twitter uh, works and I wouldn't say that's for the better. Um, Tell me about that because I haven't been on since he took over. Like I left before he took over Twitter, so I didn't leave because of Musk. But t- how has it you know, changed? I could be wrong about this, but it feels like the algorithm has changed, and oh, so okay. I'm I'm not necessarily. And other people have said this: you don't necessarily see stuff in order anymore. It used okay. to be. Here's the people yeah. I follow. This person put something up a minute ago. This one two minutes ago. Yeah, it feels a little more nuanced than that. Now they have this whole for you and also the people you're following. So you're get kind of confused yeah and also he let on some you know people who now you see their posts more and more and you're like okay um Uh, so i do think what what are your gate how how do you protect yourself uh how do you uh not become angry or disillusioned or frustrated while still being a part of social media well i so i think what's interesting for me and i don't think i realized that this was unique about me but as i'm talking to more and more people in my life i realize that it is and this might be to my detriment. I don't know. I I will post on Instagram and I'll share it to Facebook. But then I'm really not on it that much. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not scrolling through people's feeds. I'm not watching their stories. I think in one sense, that's not helpful because I could be building, you know, my platform more if I was a little more engaged. And sometimes I'll go and I'll look for my friends or sometimes I'll spend a few moments scrolling through Instagram. I'll like a few things. I'll heart a few things. Um, But generally, I just don't spend that much time there, like especially on Facebook. I am rarely on Facebook, rarely looking through people's stuff. And if Mm -hmm. I post there, it's because I posted on Instagram and I have them connected. So I I I guess that's a boundary that I sort of have set unintentionally that I just kind of go on, do what I need to do. And then I'm done. You know, I don't lay in bed at night scrolling through social media. That's not appealing to me. I do lay in bed at night watching Netflix shows. I'm not saying (laughs) one's better than the other. But I did tell you with Twitter, I eventually had to get off because I just found I was a little too... A little too annoyed and a little too swayed by the cynical people in a way that wasn't encouraging to my soul anymore. And again, like I said, I wasn't adding value to Twitter. And so I did um, just kind of I removed the app and I stopped going there. But okay, this is a long winded way of saying I think one way to protect your heart and soul is just not to be on there that much. I agree. Use it as a tool. Use it to make connections and communicate and encourage people and then get off and like go live your life. 
And what I find interesting, because um, a lot of this is basic, like, we'll just do it. But every time I read somebody, you and I were reading about somebody the other day who said, I only go on Twitter on Tuesdays. It's on their profile. I come on here on Tuesdays. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that is some really forward thinking I think my next step needs to get all social media. And right now it's only Twitter, I believe. I need to get all social media off my phone Uh, so that I can only see it when I'm on my computer. I think that's that's my next step because I just it's on my phone where I just aimlessly go. Why did I click on Twitter again? Why am I back on? What am I doing right now? Yeah, right, right. I think I think that would be next for me. But um, yeah, it's interesting for people out there. I would encourage you. Be creative. Like, ask what what are are the pitfalls of social media for you, mm-hmm. and then create boundaries yeah, around you those. Can, you can turn off your notifications, like there, so you're not getting dinged all the time. Like you're saying, there are ways to either get it off your phone or set some like notification boundaries around it. Like there That's are right. things you can do. Dan White Jr. Uh, Aubrey, he's the author of Love Over Fear. Uh, kind of a name you, you mentioned off air, the emergent church he was a part of in the missional church, all sorts. Of, he's got he's got his hand in a lot of things over the years. Yeah, I want to read yeah. to you a tweet that he wrote, and, and I'd love to know if you agree with them. And let's just unpack it a bit. He said, I've been a pastor in a non-denominational megachurch, an ancient future liturgical church and a post-Christian missional church. We had the same brick wall we slammed into in every place. Consumerism. Hmm. So he says it doesn't matter the type of church he has been a part of. A lot of people think this is an issue for the mega church, non-denominational deal, which he's saying it is. But he's saying I've been in multiple different kinds of churches. And the thing that got every one of these churches was consumerism. What do you think about that observation? Mm -hmm. So my first instinct was, uh, I I think I would have said like idolatry. Mm -hmm. Do you, but he probably, my guess is he means like we're consumers of the church, not contributors to the church. Yeah. I think what he probably means. I hear consumerism and kind of think shopping or materialism, but Go ahead. What right. No, that's a great point. I think what he probably means when he says consumerism to put words in his mouth is um, what does this place have for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is yeah. this church yeah. giving me? And yeah. when it doesn't give me what I'm looking for, that could be a programming issue. That could be a I'm not hearing exactly what I want from the front. They don't mm-hmm. play the music that I like. If As long as this church isn't meeting my needs. Mm. I then move on as opposed to uh, I am here to be part of this church family and there's going to be frustrations, but I'm going to work to be a part of it. I'm going to bless people. I'm going to work. I'm going to like that's kind of the difference I see. Yeah. So somebody did ask him. I'm reading through this uh, Twitter thread. Maybe some elaboration on the term consumerism is needed. I'm thinking you don't mean stuff as much as you mean spectacle. So I was thinking stuff and he says, It's a hyper focus that this is what you essentially said. My particular needs, wants must be met or provided for. Then they are projected onto community relationships, programs, church leadership, et cetera. Okay, so here's the question. If this is, in fact, true, Mm -hmm. and I would say many of us could say, yeah, that's true. um, What does a church look look like without 
this? Well, he answers that. Uh, oh, your he does. Friend, what does he say? Your friend, Sharon Hottie Miller, asks, I know you've tweeted about this before, but I need a refresher. What is the way forward? Ah, and what does he and, say? <clears throat> he says, a bit difficult to summarize how to break the stronghold of such a complex ideology, but I'd say... Pair everything back. And then he says in parentheses, parentheses minimalism okay. to make space for movemental discipleship. What is movemental discipleship? It does feel like the next big coined phrase, right? Yeah. He's got the ancient future. He's got right. the mission. Right. Come on, bro. But I think it is the it is a focus on discipleship. I think the key word there is discipleship. I think he's probably movements, movement. He's probably coined. My guess is this is discipleship to move you along uh, the pathway of following Jesus. But he's, I don't know. Let's discuss that word minimalism. He's saying one of the solutions is to pare back what you offer to just lean in and say, we're not going to offer everything that you want. We're going to only offer this. And the goal is discipleship. Yeah, it almost feels like the goal has to be discipleship, period. And then what flows out of that is like an outflow of the discipleship. Because I, I can say wholeheartedly, Kevin and I lead a very minimalist church. We have barely any programs at all. We don't have a building. We like I'm telling you, like. You want to go to a minimalist church? You come to Renault Church. We barely have <laughs> signs. You know, like people are like, where do we park? You know what I mean? Like, and, and we've actually, some of it we actually really need to get better at. Some of that we've done very, very intentionally because we wanted our people free to love their neighbors. And if they were mm. always at church events, they couldn't do that. We said that from the get-go. That has not broken the consumerism. Like, Oh, we interesting. Have, we have a ton of people that are actively like on mission, part of renewal, making renewal happen. And then COVID hit and half the church left because we weren't giving them what they needed. So I actually don't think he's right. That's fascinating. I I would almost reverse the order. Uh, Pray that the Holy spirit makes space for discipleship that creates a movement. And that the outflow of that might be minimalism the outflow of that might be something else. I don't mm. know. Like, I I think it's always really, uh, it's tricky to be like, because minimalism now feels like a different model to me, right? Like, yep. I don't know that a new model is the answer as he's sort of proven, but I do think like, can we focus on discipling people to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and grow in Christ's likeness? What will the outflow of that be? Missional imagination will awaken Let's go and see what God does. But I don't I don't think he has the order right. And I'm not sure that he's really solving it by saying pair everything back. He also spelled he also spared spelled pair wrong in the tweet. I just would like it does. It does feel like uh, cynical me is saying there might be a book called movemental uh, discipleship coming out here at some point. I I feel that way, too. I feel that way, too. I think that, though, uh, this is the idol that we need to tackle in the church of, yeah, uh, of the 21st sure. century is what is yeah. consumerism? What does it mean to go to a church that says, I- I'm not, how do we get people to go? Not what is this church offering me? Do I like what's going on here? Cause that has to be there to some level, but how do we say, you know what, but it's not about me. I'm going to, um, 
be a part of something bigger. I think this is the big one, and we'll continue to talk about it. We will be back again on Monday. We'll see if Brian is a little cooler at that point. I don't know if he will, but we'll be back from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.